0: as we lift our hearts to God and ask Him to be a part of our lives, and as, we, as we've done this, we think about how deeply He loves us, how much He cares for us, and how that works in our lives on a very practical basis, and how thankful we are to have this relationship that God has given us. Just as John recorded the words of Jesus, talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, you, you and me, you can make that very… Personal, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life, be in relationship with him. God gave so that we could enjoy this moment we could joy being together here worshiping those on live stream welcome as well we're always grateful that you all are joining us from a wide variety of places we uh last week I was visiting with one of our friends and and they he was in the hospital he watched live stream from the hospital others from the comfort of home um We had some construction issues this morning, and so everybody lives on the south side of Tomball, possibly listening to a live stream in their cars because it's not moving this morning. And so, a little, little difficulty sometimes, but it was great to get here. It's great to be with you. It's great to be connected in every way that God makes possible. And especially this Sunday, because we're going to talk about probably the second most awkward conversation an individual ever has. We're not going to talk about the first most awkward because we still have children in the room. But the second most awkward conversation typically and in church life has historically been finances, specifically turning loose of your finances. That decision that we make To give out of the things that we work so hard for, but recognize that God provided us so that things can be accomplished, lives can be touched, hearts can be healed by the grace of God through a ministry, not just this ministry, but all ministries. In fact, our ministry as an organization pulls immediately out of all receipts, 10% of everything we receive and pass it on to partner ministries because we not only believe that spreading the gospel and helping people in crisis is the right thing to do, but we believe that being generous is the right thing to do. But it's awkward. It's sometimes difficult, um, partially because there's so many emotions that we tie up with our funds. And so, hopefully, we're going we're to look at Scripture this morning, and we're going to discuss it as we typically do Scripture. We're going to look at it from a very practical standpoint. It is not anybody's intention to, to guilt or to, to inappropriately motivate anyone, but to help us understand To help us get a picture, not just of how God expects us and desires us to be generous because it reflects his character, but how we can actually make that a doable part of our lives. How we can begin to make the decisions and create the plans and how we can begin to examine our lives to do the very best that we can in all areas of our Christian life. And much of our Christian life comes down to discipline. You want to understand the Bible? It boils down to taking the time to study it. You want to, under, you want to be a kinder person? It boils down to making the thoughts and the decisions and the processes to be a kinder person. Anything that Scripture teaches us should be a normal part of our Christian walk, our Christian experience, our, our faith as believers in Jesus, oftentimes requires us to make the same decisions we look at today, to be decisive, to be determined, to excel at this, and and to do so with a sense of reassurance that God deeply loves us, God deeply provides for us, and God deeply wants our lives to be healthy and balanced. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Which 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, in a sense, the passages we're looking at in this, theory, this series about being open-handed and about learning to be a church, learning to be a group of people who have gathered together on purpose and on mission, and in that process, deeply value in the core values of who we are, how it, we live with generous hearts. And so I didn't see anybody get up and walk out. So we're going to engage in this conversation for the next few minutes and begin to look at how God can work in us in this area. Generous people are happy people. I love the way one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. It says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I don't think that changes our motive. It doesn't mean I become generous because I'm anticipating a return on investment. But it's a promise of God that when I am generous, when I am compassionate to the point of carrying and placing other people ahead of myself, that God understands that and he reciprocates that. And so generosity is a doable thing. It, and it's not dependent upon. And Paul's going to make that obvious several times in the entirety of Second Corinthians eight and Second Corinthians nine. He's going to he's going to be really clear. You are doing this according to your ability, so that anyone, any person, regardless of circumstance, can live with generosity and be open-handed. So let me backtrack for just a second. In First Corinthians sixteen. Paul explains the history of what's taking place in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He tells them that there's going to be a collection for the saints in 1 Corinthians 16, and he asks them to follow the same instructions that other churches, particularly the churches of Macedonia, Galatia, Ephesus, and those areas, follow the same instructions that they're following. And that simple instruction was, on the first day of the week, each of you set aside And save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that when they arrive, no collections will need to be made when he comes. When he arrives, he sends letters to recommend their gift to Jerusalem. So, this is a very special offering intended to bring relief to the churches in Jerusalem. In the first century AD, at the time the Apostle Paul is writing these letters to the church at Corinth, The church in Jerusalem is experiencing some of the first and most severe persecution. Jerusalem is the seat and the heart of Judaism. Christianity is moving away, not neglecting that root, but has moved away because the Messiah has come. There is no reason to live any longer under an expectation that the Messiah is coming. Jesus demonstrated over and over and over again he was the Messiah. He fulfilled hundreds, thousands of prophecies about the Messiah. The Messiah is here, and you now have the opportunity to know him personally, to be in intimate relationship with God no longer requiring all of the procedures and rituals to attempt to just simply have God look with favor on you, but now knowing him personally, even as Jesus described it, as a friend. The problem is, faith oftentimes becomes rooted in culture. And in Jerusalem, the religious culture had moved from faith to obligation. When the Christian culture recognized that Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah and started following him, this created conflict. And that conflict resulted in persecution. It's, it's the kind of persecution that many people in our world today know. Loss of jobs loss of financial resources, loss of the ability to meet in public, loss of the ability to pursue the heart of your mission and your goal and your faith, a denial of who Jesus is, a denial that he was the Messiah, uh, a constant pressuring on following what has been instead of what currently is. And that has impacted these new churches. These new churches are meeting in people's homes, They, for the most part, can't meet in any other public place. And so the ability to sustain themselves, not just the church, the ministry, but the families themselves, becoming a Christian in that generation and in that culture oftentimes meant you lost social status, you lost financial status, you lost employment, and the decision to follow Jesus was a pricely, costly decision. Now, Paul, who is currently in Asia, he wants those churches there to send relief to the churches in Jerusalem. This is churches helping churches. But the principle of generosity remains the same. And in that phrase where Paul introduces what the offering is for— That phrase, which is followed up in his second letter, because now the representatives are coming to the church at Corinth to pick up the money and deliver it to Jerusalem, he gives one of the most important aspects of how to become a generous person. And in fact, it's so simple that your tendency is going to be, well, yeah, of course, that, of course you got to do that. He simply tells them, each of you is to set something aside. You have to make a decision. To be a generous person has to be a decisive moment where you make the decision, your decisiveness says, yes, I am going to be generous. I am, I am going to live my faith out through my generosity. It sounds so simple. Paul says, just set something aside. You'll notice he doesn't even say how much. And actually, nowhere in his writings will you see any reference to how much. Because generosity always seeks the maximum, not the minimum. But it begins with the decision. And so, we're not even going to set some limit. We don't look at your salaries and say, this is what you get. That's a tax. That's not a gift. And the church exists to exemplify the gift of God's love. Can you imagine if Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus, God so loved the world so much that he was willing to give 10% of his son's life. That's not what the scripture says. He gave his son fully, 100%. Now you will see as you read through these passages in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 that God's not asking that of us. He's asking for us to make a decision about what we're going to do. Now, there may be times. There have been plenty of times throughout history, and and we could chronicle that when people have given everything. But that's not the daily, weekly experience of the Christian. You have to make a decision. Like any type of action, you have to decide this is what we're going to do. So, in the first part of 2 Corinthians 8, he's now talking about coming to pick up this collection, and he describes what I'm calling determination. Because all of us, we, we all know this. We make a decision to do something, but it's going to require more than that. There has to be a determination to follow through and actually do it. I mean, we know, we know it in every area of our life. You know, my favorite topic, Food. I I can decide, and I do decide every single morning, today's the day I'm going to be a little more cautious, and I'm doing great until I get to my favorite restaurant that has my favorite meal, and then I tell myself, you know what, that was a great decision I made this morning, but let's implement it tomorrow, (laughs) And, and, and those tomorrows just keep coming. There's a determination. Look at at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Move down to verse 2. I'm going to encourage you to read some of the other verses as well. Just do that when you get home or or later this afternoon. He's talking about the severe trial and everything that's taking place. Then he describes the churches in Macedonia and their open-handedness, their abundant joy, and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Generosity. That seems counterintuitive to most of us. They have extreme poverty. They have extreme and abundant, literally like overflowing joy. And the weird combination of what we would determine an extremely difficult circumstance with an extremely desirable emotion resulted in their generosity. Paul's whole point here is that you make the decision and you have to be determined. This is not about ability. This is about what we're determined to do. Paul will say that over and over again. They, they begged earnestly for the privilege of sharing in verse four, and not just as we had hoped, but they went beyond ourselves. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. And he, it's a part of their spirituality Nothing is about qualification or ability or about circumstance or about credit and debt lines. Everything's about heart. If I make the decision, which I'm not, to start jogging, I am going to have to put on the shoes, I'm going to have to put on the clothes. In my neighborhood, jogging is a fashion statement, and so I'm actually going to have to go to the store and buy certain equipment so I look like I know what I'm doing. I just can't do it in my camouflage, you know, short pants. I mean, I just, I'm just going to have to do it right. And so, you know, you have to, I'm going to have to make it, and then I'm going to have to do it. At some point, I'm going to have to open up the back door, step out onto the driveway, stretch, and actually jog, which that's, that's the point that always gets me. It's like, I have air conditioning. Why do I want to go out in this heat, in this humility? Because I fail on determination. This isn't every area of our lives. We have to be determined. So being a generous person requires making a decision. It requires determination. And then it requires, what I'm going to say, a sense of vision or goal casting, In verse six, he's talking about how Titus is going to come and how Titus is going to fulfill all this, collect everything. And in verse seven, he says, now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and your love for us, everything. Now think about that for a minute. They're excelling in faith. They're excelling in speech. They're excelling in knowledge. They're excelling in in their diligence about all things faithful. And they're excelling in their love. But then the clause here is, excel also in this act of grace, which I love. I love the way Paul describes generosity as an act of grace. This is the moment where we reflect the heart and character of God. Quite honestly, nothing is selfish about God. As I've already said, He gave us everything. I I want to I want to reflect the character of God in the relationships I have and the love that I express. I want to just like this, ex- just show and demonstrate and excel in my faith in difficult times, in hard times, and in, in great times. I want my faith to be an obvious example, excelling in everything. I want my diligence. I want my faithfulness being here and being a part of what God's doing and doing the things that God asked me to do. I, I want to be excelling in all those areas. But it becomes difficult, it becomes awkward, and it becomes uncomfortable when we flat out say, like the Apostle Paul says, excel in your generosity. Because it is an act of grace. Psalms 24 says that we have been entrusted with the things of this world. We are stewards, I am not an owner, I am a manager. But I forget sometimes. And I come up with my reasons for not making the decision to be generous, not being determined to be generous, and not excelling at generosity. The interesting thing, at least in a system like ours, that excelling is something only God's going to see. We don't, we don't mark it. We don't check it. We don't, we don't evaluate it. We'll send you copies twice a year of all the receipts. You can, you can download our church app, and you can sign into it using the email that we have on file, and uh, you can look at your giving records at any point in time, but nobody's ever going to stop you on a Sunday morning and say, you know, you're not excelling in this area. It's just not going to happen. But God sees us all the time. And ultimately, he's the one I want to please. And then there's a, there's a balance to all of this. And I think this is where oftentimes the conversation gets awkward. Because I think sometimes we get the impression that they want everything. And they, they want, you know, all these things that I've worked so hard for. Whether it's my time, whether it's my resources, my finances, they, they, they want it all. Paul describes... In verse 12, the balance. If the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be this equality. Equality is a buzzword that has very skewed meanings in our generation, in our culture, in Western civilization. Paul is not talking about everybody just needs to have the same thing. He's talking about everybody acting the same way and experiencing the grace of God in all things. As it is written, he says in verse 15, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. And that is a biblical reference to the Old Testament and to what we call the exodus of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt with absolutely nothing, no resource. They weren't allowed to take anything with them, and they got in the desert, and they didn't have anything. And God supernaturally provided both the meat through quail and then the sustenance and the carbs. I love the fact that God loves carbs, and he provided manna, This whole sermon wasn't supposed to be on food, but it it just always comes to the surface with me. And they were instructed as the quail came in every night and as the manna fell on the like dew every morning, they were instructed, take only what you need. Not because God's harsh, but God just simply wanted to remind them, I will take care of you. I love you. I'll provide for you. You'll have everything you need. And God not only told them, take just what you need, but he demonstrated it in a very graphic fashion. Those who did try to store up and those who did try to hoard found that during the night, all the extra they had put aside rotted and was filled with maggots. Known a lot of people in my lifetime And I've walked a lot of people through the last moments of this life and been with their families in the next moments. You would be surprised how much we work so hard to secure simply turns to maggots when we're gone. Nobody loves our stuff as much as we love our stuff. And that's all Paul's saying. Paul's just saying, in this eagerness— the gift is acceptable according to what a person can do, what they have and the resource they have. Nobody's interested in bankrupting anybody. Nobody's interested in depriving anybody. But we want to reflect the heart of God. And God's heart is always generous. I'm going to invite our band to come back up and let's worship just a little bit again before we dismiss and before we leave. But let me just pray for us. Nothing I'm saying is as easy as it may sound. It's a, it, it's a, it takes decision, it takes determination, it, it takes that determination to a new level to do the very best at it you possibly can. But I tell you this much, from my own experience, when you make it a lifestyle decision and a lifestyle choice, you will be overwhelmed at the grace of God in this act of grace on our behalf and how he just simply takes care of us and guides us.